TED Audio Collective. Hi, listeners. Shoshana here. We're doing things a little differently today and sharing a preview of another show that we love, Revisionist History. In it, Malcolm Gladwell re-examines something from the past and asks whether we got it right the first time. This season, he's obsessed with experiments, natural experiments, scientific ones, thought experiments, even magic wand experiments, the ones we'd try if we didn't have to worry about money, ethics, or the laws of nature. The preview you're about to hear introduces Malcolm's own magic wand experiment, and it's a perfect example of why experiments are so important. A century ago, a mysterious and disfiguring disease plagued parts of the world. No one could find a remedy until a doctor in Ohio conducted a controversial experiment and finally found a cure with an everyday condiment. Okay, here's the preview. We hope you enjoy it. You can hear the full episode and more from Revisionist History wherever you get your podcasts. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals, all in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. Deep into the preparation of Season 7 of Revisionist History, one bitterly cold day, I sent my producers Lee Mengistu and Eloise Linton on special assignment. Fly to Detroit, 
rent a car. Go north on I-94 for a stretch, then turn right off the freeway on the Fredmore Highway and drive all the way to the banks of the St. Clair River, where they will come upon a factory. This is a dumb question. Is it like high security? Oh, no. (laughs) Well, it's not high security, but we did have to really put on a lot of gear to get it in there for food safety reasons. You're wearing like hard hats, reflective jackets. Were you wearing like industrial footwear? Not footwear, but we had to wear gloves. So we were wearing gloves, caps for our hair. That didn't really work for either of us. (laughs) Not at all. I wanted to understand an experiment, one of the most important experiments of our modern era, one that's been all but forgotten. And crucially, for my own selfish purposes, I wanted them to take a taste test. So we had uh, a couple of paper plates in front of us, and then a spoon, and then we would spoon a little bit of it into our hands and then uh, taste it from there. I will say that I took way too much. Um, it was overwhelming, for sure. Okay. Guess I'll put too little. <laughs> okay. This one first. Okay. Oh. Um, That's strong, yeah. Wow. Yeah, right. I thought you weren't blinded. They just, but you didn't know which was which. So you have two little plates in front of you. Could they tell the difference? Yes. The insiders at the factory know the difference. The rest of us, not so much. My name is Malcolm Gladwell. You're listening to Revisionist History, my podcast about things overlooked and misunderstood. This is part two of our investigation of magic wand experiments, impossible experiments that could only be done if we waved a magic wand. In this episode, you'll hear my magic wand by way of a journey from the banks of the St. Clair River to the tallest mountains in Europe, on to India, and then Ohio. This episode is going to require a fair amount of digression. Patience, grasshopper. We begin our story over a century ago, a time when you could go many places in the world and find some portion of the local population severely disfigured. If I'm walking around a remote village in the Swiss Alps in 1800, what do I see? High up in the Swiss Alps in the mid-1800s, you probably, probably about half the population would have a visible goiter. I'm talking with Michael Zimmerman, University of Zurich, about goiters, a swelling on the neck right in front of the larynx. Describe these goiters. How large could they be? Well, I mean, in a child, it's about the size of maybe a lemon. But the older women, particularly the ones who'd had repeated pregnancies, you know, and would have large multinodular goiters, they can be the size of a, a volleyball. I mean, they can... A volleyball? Can, yeah, sure. They can compress the trachea, make it difficult to breathe or swallow. They can really be massive. Some portion of the population with goiters had a related condition, what used to be called cretinism. So in children, for example, they don't grow normally. So they, they're very short. 
They have characteristic facial features. Um, they have very dry skin, very dry hair. They move very slowly. Um, their temperature regulation is very poor. They become cold very easily. And then classically, it's associated with you know, cognitive impairment and also deaf mutism. And it's not reversible. It's not. For the longest time, no one knew the explanation for cretinism or for goiters. It would be one thing if they appeared everywhere. Then you could say, this is just what human beings look like. But this wasn't everywhere. It was confined to very specific regions of the world. I mean, it was famous back in the 1800s for British and American tourists to go up in the Swiss Alps, not only to see the beautiful Alpine scenery, but also to see goiter and cretinism. I mean, Mark Twain, very famous quote, I've seen the two things I wanted to see in Switzerland, Mount Blanc and the goiter, and now I'm going home. It wasn't until the 19th century that scientists started to figure out what might be the culprit, iodine, or rather, a lack of iodine in the diet. Iodine is a trace element found largely in seawater. There's a lot of iodine in seaweed and in the livers of fish like cod. If you live in a coastal area, you'll get iodine in your diet naturally because the wind and rain blowing off the ocean will deposit iodine in the soil and water. If a cow near the coast drinks water with iodine in it, then that iodine gets into your milk and meat. But go inland, and iodine gets harder to find in nature. Fresh water flushes iodine out of the soil. Worst off are places that used to be covered with glaciers. Because when the glaciers retreated, they took topsoil and natural iodine with them. No iodine in the soil, no iodine in plants. No iodine in plants, not enough iodine in the people eating those plants. And when people don't get enough iodine in their diets, their thyroid glands have to work overtime to compensate. So the thyroid becomes huge, like an oversized heart. Think about the Swiss Alps, an inland mountain chain with lots of glaciers, no iodine in the soil. And so people living there have historically been afflicted with goiter. Norway also had a huge goiter problem. So did mountainous parts of China, Russia. And goiter was a problem in the United States, of course, because there are plenty of inland areas in America once home to glaciers. There's a book published in the 1920s called Defects Found in Drafted Men, which is simply a compendium of the physicals conducted by the U.S. Army on draftees during the First World War. So basically, we're looking at the entire reasonably healthy male population, young male population of the United States, gets examined by a doctor, and their health condition is noted in this book. Correct. It must be a massive book. It's a big, thick book, yeah. That's the economist Jim Firer, who published a study based on that data. This is pre-computerized shaded maps showing where some diseases were common and where some weren't. And this led to the discovery of what's known as the goiter belt, which is yeah. the place where goiter was endemic, which is the upper Midwest. The goiter belt. Just to give you a sense of the problem. In Houghton County, which is Michigan's upper peninsula, 538 young men were brought before the draft board. A third of those draftees showed, quote, a demonstrable enlargement of the thyroid. In some cases, the goiters were so large, the men were turned away from the army because they couldn't button up the collars of their uniforms. 
Firer estimates the lack of iodine in places like Houghton County caused significant cognitive impairment, as much as a standard deviation in IQ, which is a lot. A standard deviation can be the difference between being able to handle college and not being able to handle college. So what's so weird about this? There is literally a part of the country where people are not as smart in aggregate as other parts. Uh, certainly, they are not as smart as they could have been in the absence of being iodine deficient. Yes, I think that's right. So you have people in various parts of the world who don't get enough iodine. What do you do about it? Michael Zimmerman says some of the earliest attempts to fix the problem were a disaster. The dose of iodine that they were applying in these, in these initial studies was extremely high, you know, a thousandfold higher than what was needed to eliminate goiter. And iodine, like any nutrient, is, a, is poisonous at high doses. So a lot of people developed hyperthyroidism and actually cardiac arrhythmias and died from excess iodine ingestion. Um, so it was seen kind of as a double-edged sword, and people saw it as a poison as well as a potential remedy. There was an iodine backlash and a lot of confusion. Like, was iodine a treatment for goiter, the way aspirin is a treatment for headache, something you gave once and it solved the problem? Or was it a supplement? Was iodine something that people with goiter needed on a continuous basis? And if so, how much iodine would you need to give to people? How often? Starting at what age? And how would you give it to them? Did it matter? What the world needed was a proper experiment. Careful, rigorous, controlled. And where did salvation finally come from? Akron, Ohio. Surely, at least if you are as old as I am, you remember the classic 1983 hit from Chrissy Hind and the Pretenders, My City Was Gone. I went back to Ohio But my city was gone What city is she talking about? Not Cleveland. Not swanky Columbus. Not stuffy, well-fed Cincinnati. Akron, because Chrissy Hine grew up in Akron. South Howard disappeared. South Howard is the historic center of old Akron. It got gutted in the 70s for an empty urban plaza. How many cities get dissed? at such a high level by one of their favorite daughters. My friends, we're finally getting close to revealing my magic wand. Very close. And let me make one more promise. My magic wand will give Akron a shot at redemption. You're growing a business, and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.